And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Want an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news and trends in the NBA? Listen to the NBA Daily Ding podcast Monday through Friday. Wake up and turn up the NBA Daily Ding to stay informed on all things NBA here at The Athletic and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Athletic NBA Show Monday through Friday on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam Tammy. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. To be able to bring uh-huh. people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. It's <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. Hey, we don't have tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic. Here as always with my guys on the East and the West. We got Fred Katz. We got Anthony Slater. We're going to talk playoffs and all the drama in the second round on the back end of this week's pod. Uh, but we are going to bring a friend of the show and a fantastic colleague in today to talk all things Dallas Mavericks. I teamed up with Mavs beat writer Tim Cato on a story that came out today diving into the politics of the Mavs and the overarching question of when you have a player as great as Luka Doncic, you know, is the environment around him such and healthy enough and synergistic enough to get the most out of this Luka Doncic era? And we focused on Bob Bulgaris, who uh, has been with the team for several years, was hired as the director of quantitative research and development, a former professional gambler, a guy who NBA Twitter is well aware of, has, has been you know, on a public stage uh, for quite some time, but has a ton of influence with the Mavs. We tried to pull the curtain back on on those dynamics. Tim, how are you? Thanks for joining us, brother. What's up, boys? I'm doing good. Appreciate you, man. Great job on the piece. You know, I mean, you and I obviously have been working on this for weeks, and I do admittedly love what we do at our place when it comes to, you know, I already kind of said it, but pulling the curtain back and trying to explain to the fans and the readers the power structures and, and how things truly operate for all these teams. Uh, and so with the Mavs, you know, when you when, to me, when you have a front facing owner like Mark Cuban, whose profile is obviously through the roof, then uh, I think folks rightfully assume that, that his fingers are in everything, but it's a lot more complicated than that with this group. You got Donnie Nelson has been there a long time in the front office. Rick Carlisle, you know, wins that title uh, about a decade ago and is now one of the longest tenured coaches in the league. And, and so a lot of familiar faces. Bob was not a familiar face. He's not somebody who the mainstream fans are aware of. Take us through the, the piece a little bit. When did you start thinking that his influence and his situation was worth exploring? And uh, and what did you learn? Right. I, I think the idea that the, the front office um, 
has not lived up to to Luca's end of the bargain, if you will. Like he's ready to win now. And you saw in Game Seven, I, I felt like the Clippers series was an indictment on the the job they've done. You know, it, he had what forty six and fourteen, and the game wasn't even close at the end. Kawhi Leonard was subbing out because you know the game was in hand. The idea that the the front office has has been an issue is 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 something that's been there. And I started hearing that there were, there were specifically issues within it um months ago and all around the league i mean i think i think league and and team and and there's a lot of people just concerned with the with the direction it was taking with the idea that you know that that this luca timeline is now and nobody wants to look back in a few years and say we messed that up um that we we annoyed the you know a generational player uh who they were fortunate enough to draft um wanted to draft but but certainly fortunate in, in some ways as well no nobody nobody wants to look back on a on on the, in a moment like this on an opportunity for a team that has not won a playoff series since the 2011 title and 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 say man we messed this up too and now luca wants to go somewhere else now he now he wants out now now he you know is just not satisfied with the with the team with the roster being built around him and and i think that's that's where a lot of this was built and based off of and it, it just kind of it, it kind of went from from there over time as the you know it, it became clear that you know there were so many competing interests and there was you know just confusion uh, about how the league even viewed the Mavericks front office who actually held power who was the people to talk to for this or that you know the, it was it was a a consistent um, you know concern and, and buzz that was building and building and building over time and 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 so that's that's when I really tried to start reporting this as as well as i could um talked to a lot a lot of people um throughout the league you know there was uh, eventually you know people on the team uh who who shared these concerns and and, and had their own uh you know details and, and, and things to share and and that's that's you know kind of the the genesis of, of the story and, and how it led to the the piece that we published this morning just a quick uh, or a couple of quick uh overarching thoughts for me and then i'm i would definitely want to hear Fred and, and Slater's take on this. Um, for one, it speaks to Luca's greatness early on that, you know, that this is even a story because as we reported, you know, he is widely expected to sign that Supermax extension, but, you know, his talent is on the kind of level where if you are trying to replicate a Dirk Nowitzki type experience, then you are, he's so good that you're already thinking about the next contract. And so it's funny, even as I looked at our piece, I'm thinking if I'm a reader, I'm confused. Like, well, wait, you said he's signing. So what am I worried about? It's like, well, because that's when, it, when a guy's this good, you got to think about the long road. The other thing is that, um, you know, I, and again, I'm admittedly kind of shamelessly patting our company on the back and our platform, I guess, is that like these types of people in some form or fashion exist with every single team. And I love the fact that, you know, that we so routinely try to get into some of these things. You know, if you ask other teams, about trade rumors or different things around the league. Other teams are constantly trying to figure out who's actually making the call, who actually has the juice. And there are these somewhat mysterious characters throughout the NBA that, that even the executives themselves are trying to learn about because they don't ever want to waste any time on the phone with somebody who claims that they're making the calls and they're not. And so in that regard, you know, I mean, I already got some feedback today from around the league where folks were we're surprised that Bob hadn't been front and center even earlier. So again, great job on the piece, Fred and, and Anthony. Uh, I don't know who wants to dive in, but 
again, you guys have been through this with the teams you cover, but, but in general, kind of how did, uh, how did the piece in this situation hit you? Well, one of the interesting parts about it is like, it, you know, from reading it, it's not just a front office thing, right? This bleeds into the coaching staff and Carlisle and, and line, you know, lineup decisions. And, um, I'm just, I, you know, how much is that a clash? Would you say? I mean, uh, and it, it seems, you know, through, through you know, reading your guys reporting, like there's been tense moments with Rick and, and questions about his future with Dallas and what at this point what is he like the second longest third longest tenured coach in, in the NBA right yeah third third it's Popovich and then he's essentially tied for a second with uh with Spolstra yeah it's look it's no secret that that Luca and, and Rick have clashed in butted heads this has been reported on ad nauseum we certainly added reporting to that to those facts and and to the idea that that Rick is somebody who Whose role is is being considered is is being looked at. Um, I, I don't I don't think and and we say in the piece we're not questioning his his acumen as a as a basketball coach. He's he's clearly very good strategically. But you know the idea that you know if you're not going to get along with the best player if 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 the if the best player is someone who is not routinely listening to you, um, yeah, that's a concern. That that you know that adds to this entire dynamic that you know you you need to you need to be sure you're doing what you need to do to make sure that you maximize the Luca timeline. And if that, if that comes to coaching, like that's also a concern. That's something that you have to, to consider. You have to view and you have to think about, all right, you know what, you know, is, is this, is this relationship uh, manageable or tenable going forwards? Is this something that, you know, needs to be addressed? And I think that's, that's where we tried to land on the piece. You know, it wasn't, you know, all things considered, you, you read the piece. I, I don't think you, should come away from it thinking that that Carlisle has been the problem on this team per se. You know, I, I, I again, he is tactically, I, I think he's consistently gotten more out of a out of a roster and a group of players over his entire tenure. But if if you know whatever for whatever reason, if if he doesn't clash with with the star player, even if he's tried to openly and accurate, you know, very clearly tried to adapt his style and 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 how he coaches his team to build around him you know are are you certain that's that's still working are you certain that he's done enough to to make that a a reasonable and you know productive relationship going forwards and i think that's mostly what got called into question and throughout the reporting and in the publishing of this piece and and i think that's probably the takeaway that that should be had after reading this so so on that note we've we've all covered different kinds of front offices. And I'm sure we've all heard stories from around the league about anywhere from meddlesome front offices to front offices who just let the rest of the guys in the organization do their thing and whatever they want to call it. They're, they're laissez-faire. They're, you know, uh, co- collaborative tends to be a, a very buzz buzzword that we hear around the league all the time, right? And when you hear stories about front offices that are meddlesome, it's almost always coming from the top. And you often hear pushback. You know, a front office will come in and say, you got to play this guy more. And the coach says, no, here's why I'm not playing this guy. And there's often pushback. And sometimes it's a very healthy pushback. And that's a great that's a great kind of clash that you actually want because that's where ideas stem from. And other times it turns personal or unprofessional or whatever you want to call it. What I'm curious is Rick Carlisle is known as being a guy who wants to coach 
the way that he wants to coach. And unlike a lot of guys who want to coach the way they want to coach, he has the resume to back it up. He's coached numerous NBA teams. He's had success in numerous destinations. I mean, I don't know if the average fan realizes how rare it is to be a coach with a ring. Like so few coaches around the league have actually coached teams to a ring. And he did it uh, and has consistently coached good teams and been well-respected around the league. How does he react when the person who's meddling is not even just somebody from the front office telling him, this is the better way to do your job. Here are the rotations. Here's how you should be coaching this situation. When that person isn't just from the front office, but but is also somebody who is, you know, technically not in charge of the front office, is technically not the highest up person in the hierarchy. And and tied to ownership too, which is always its own. Thing. I mean, Tim's the expert there. My quick response to that question, Fred, would be that for one, I mean, one thing I've I've learned about Rick over the years and heard in spades and, and doing reporting for this piece is that, I mean, to quote the story with, we had an anonymous quote, uh, you know, the R rated version was that he's adaptable as a motherfucker. Like, and it made me laugh. Cause it just, it kind of gets to the heart of how Rick has had this ability to read the room with the Mavs um, all the way through his tenure. So he, you know, had some friction with Jason Kidd and like we had in the piece, you know, his assistant coaches had to go to him and essentially say, you know, Dirk is all in on Jason you're not winning this one, fall in line, don't be so controlling, you know, and, and he did and then win a championship. Well, you know, then we saw the opposite of that with Rajon Rondo. That was laid bare. We saw when when Carlisle, you know, saw that that uh, that he could win that battle and he kind of put Rajon out there publicly at the time. This one with Luca, but we've been hearing since last year that, that Rick was well aware, like you're not winning this with Luca. And and by when I say winning this, I simply mean you know, picking and choosing your spots on how stubborn you're going to be, whether it's play calling, whether it's timeouts, whether it's, okay, you're doing this thing and that thing that are irritating Luca. Rick then gets to decide how much he cares. Well, if it wasn't Luca, then he doesn't care. If it's, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr., it's a different response. And so, I, but to your specific question, Rick knows that, that, that Bob is obviously empowered by Mark and, he is, you know, essentially part of the front office. And and that's where Mark is, I think, such an interesting guy in general because, you know, he's got these people running his organization and, and like a level of stability that you don't see very often in the NBA with the Donnie Nelsons and the Carlisles around him. But then, you know, you have a little bit of an unorthodox approach with Bob and somebody that he clearly trusts and wants to be part of the decision-making process. Um, so that's kind of how I see all that. Right, and we, we've reported that players felt like you know these these rotations that were being set up and and shared were rigid to the point that it it prevented them from being as good as they could be that that, that they could be you know they they were frustrated there's a lot of frustration within the locker room and it's stemming from that uh, we didn't uh, I'll note that we did not report that that Rick and Bob had a bad relationship um as far as I know you know like you could probably infer to some degree that, you know, if, if Rick was really being, you know, you know, his hand was being held in some ways that he, he wouldn't like that. You know, we, we all know Rick Carlisle, but I also think that Bob in some ways is very good at his job and, and that he has good, smart ideas about how to manage stuff. The problem becomes if, if it's so direct and it's, it's so unflexible, unrigid, um, or, or is unrigid, I suppose. And, you know, it, to the point that that players feel like 
their roles are are not even being assigned from the the person who is you know in charge of coaching them. Yeah, that's going to be an issue. That 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 has been an issue in, in the locker room, and, and and that's 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 you know the the real concern that I think I took away from from that specifically is is just how it you know how these you know overarching decisions even even if Rick is someone who's like oh this makes sense and this is smart and I am going to do it this way because Rick absolutely is someone who you know has a you know he's really embraced I think analytics and and and, and embraced a new age and, and style of basketball. He's the one who went on that whole rant about Christos Porzingis and, and saying that post-ups are not a good play anymore. I absolutely think that, you know, probably most of what Bob said resonated with him to some degree. But when it reaches a point where the players are like, well, you know, you're just doing this because this other guy above you said to do this. And this other guy above you has ownership ties that we don't even understand. That's, that's when it reaches a, a point where, you know, people want to say something about it. Yeah, that's a really good point, Tim. I, I think again, I'm I'm being somewhat repetitive, but like, you know, I, without putting the team name on it, I, I'm thinking of this one team in particular that where I know their analytics guy pretty well, and like in another life where he was given the kind of power that it appears Bob has been given, I guarantee you that when there's a person who works remotely from his team who the players don't personally know, and if it, let's say they caught wind of the fact that that he was making these kinds of key day-to-day crucial decisions that would absolutely spark, you know, some kind of uprising in the locker room. And I think there's an element of that here. I think a lot of, honestly, the push of even the story coming to light is admittedly coming from the player community. And it's not, it's well beyond Luca. And when it comes to the mass locker room, there was this growing sense that, you know, the players were questioning, you know, why they were being asked to do certain things. And, and Tim, you hit it on the head that, you know, it's Rick, are you pulling the strings here or, or is somebody a puppet master for you? And I know that's overly simplistic, but those are the dynamics. And Tim, I wonder, like, I know this is, again, probably way too simplistic, but would you agree or not that there's an element here of if you go back all the way to, to when uh, when Michael Lewis wrote Moneyball? I mean, the Art Howe-Billy Bean dynamic where, you know, the, the old A's manager, you know, was, and, and at that time, Billy obviously was running the front office legitimately, but, you know, Art, and, and just that idea that old school sports folks um, have continued to try to figure out how to work with a quasi new age voices and minds uh, to, to get the most, uh, most out of these sports organizations. They're, those themes continue to this day and I think exist in this story. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think that, you know, there is a lot of concern, you know, high level people, you know, good, good sourcing says that, you know, just the way that, you know this vision was presented. I'm I'm very analytical in the way I view basketball. Um, but yeah, you need a you need a a way to talk to players that it's that it's received and and not just seen as this is what the numbers are telling us to do. And so you need to go do that. And I I think the reporting is very clear that that Bob wasn't able to communicate those things when he did have interactions with players, um, and in a way that was effective or or really brought up a, a you know a good image around him and 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 then you know in a lot of ways people kept looking at him and, and kept saying you know this this is uh this is a problem and yeah it's it's hard it's it's a hard thing to it's a hard line to walk um for sure it's <laughs> like you said how many stories of analytics guys not meshing with you know sports guys have have we heard throughout right. the past two decades i mean right. a million it feels like a million 
And so I think I think that is that is definitely an underlying through line or an, a through line that kind of goes through this reporting and, and this piece and, and everything that's come of it. That's why Tim and Chris I don't get along. I'm a big sports guy. We just don't do <laughs> there it. There you go. Well, Chris, I just don't like Fred. You know, there's really no reason behind it except that. So, you know, just so just Sam, it's funny that you uh, that you mentioned the Moneyball stuff because when I was reading the Carlisle stuff, what came to me is I wonder if this would have the same sort of um, if this would be received in a similar way if it were about a baseball team because it's funny in terms of uh, you know front office coaching dynamics in baseball it's it's kind of progressed to a point where front offices are dictating so many in-game decisions. And it's easier to do that in baseball because the game stops. You can actually come and you can make a decision and a free-flowing game. It's a lot more difficult for a coach to have that sort of impact on decision-making. But, you know, the game has changed in baseball towards that degree. And baseball's analytics movement is obviously farther along than any other sports that that I follow, at least, of the the major sports. And that includes basketball. And so I just... I mean, do you guys think that this sort of dynamic as analytics continue to become more prominent, do you guys think that this is some sort of inherent attribute of analytics? And I don't know if you know the answer to this, but if this is some sort of inherent attribute of of analytics run front officing, or or is this a sort of coincidence that we've been seeing this progressively more and more with more and more organizations in baseballs where where baseball teams are kind of they're hiring managers now as guys who can be communicators to players of the analytics. And they're they're openly saying this is the guy who can communicate these decisions to the players. He's a player manager. And we're going to let our front office basically dictate. All right. Set decision. First and second one out. You got a guy who throws a lot of sliders on the mound. Here's what we're going to do. do. Do you think that we're trending into more of a direction like that in, in basketball as analytics become more prominent? I do. Uh, I would agree with you. I think part of what you alluded to, Fred, is that baseball is, is certainly ahead of basketball uh, when it comes to, you know, that movement. And and I learned recently that even if you talk about staffing, uh, you know, league wide, I just think the numbers in baseball trump basketball to a pretty significant degree. And but I, I think the advancement has been there in hoops. Uh, one guy who I think about who I actually would credit for doing it pretty well. So Monty McNair was you know, was running analytics uh, at a high level for the Houston Rockets. And I, a couple of years ago in the playoffs, the Rockets helped me out with the story I was trying to do. And they gave me access during the playoffs to their coaches meetings. And I got to see in person, Monty, who is for lack of a better way of putting it, like he's capable of acting like a normal human. He's a nice guy. He can communicate. And he was really adept at getting, you know, his message uh, analytically across to Mike D'Antoni specifically. And they had a rapport that I thought served the organization well at that time. And then now, you know, you, he's running the Kings, obviously. And I think from a communication standpoint, has those kinds of skills. But I think that hoops is behind baseball again. And I also think that, and Tim, I'm curious to hear you on this. Like, there's something, perception is everything, right? So I definitely think there's something to, Bob's background as a gambler, I think, is coming into play here. I think you have certain stereotypes. Uh, that come with the gambling industry. And, and I'm talking about from the, stand, uh, the vantage point of the players. You know, if you're just a, a guy in the Mavs locker room and all you heard is that some gambler is is determining your playing time, your thought process might not go any farther than that. And I think that might be one thing that doesn't help his cause and, it, you know, distinguishes him from the other analytics crowd. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, 
he's you know he and he's built up a reputation over over time like he's he's promoted his own public image like i, I think i became aware of him specifically from you know the bill simmons podcasts and, and things like that and you know the idea that that this this person who you know <laughs> has has sent tweets himself hits hit send on them that that you know certainly read in a in an arrogant way at, at times um you know there's there's instances where where i've i've you know seen that and just been like i i don't know how if you're expressing this thing about crypto or whatever in this way i have no clue how <laughs> you could express right. you know if this is how you express player you know basketball analytics to players and things like that there's no way it's going to be taken well and and that's right. that's what we heard that's what we heard consistently you know uh he, he wasn't communicating with them all the time you know i'm literally getting think. tim i'm literally getting text messages right now from people about how they don't they've never liked his style which is i know that's right. a general characterization but i think personality is coming into play here Right. Well, Luca clearly didn't, and that's the big one, right? right? I mean, as we talk about the difference between basketball and baseball, one of the big differences is it's not even communicating as much to a, a team of baseball players. It's the star in the NBA. It's the one player, and I mean, you guys laid it out in your lead. I mean, Luca doesn't seem to like how uh, you know he handles his business. Right, and you know that's as Luca does. Luca goes. The Mavericks go. Like you know, this is now the. The central figure of the Mavericks, not not you know even more than I think Cuban, uh, certainly more than Bob, Rick, Donnie, anybody else involved. You know it, it is it is Luca um, who holds the power, and you know we aren't you know we never reported, and we aren't saying that you know he's out here trying to flex that power and and you know get you know I think the fact that he immediately set out you know came out and said that he's going to sign his extension, uh, you know he could have held on to that, he could have waited, uh, he, he yeah. could have he could have held that over the team and. I think it's clear he didn't. Um, but the idea that the the Mavericks are not considering Luca in every decision they make from this point out, uh, of course they are. They have to be. Um, that's the reality of a basketball team that has a star as big as him. And 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 that's that's how the NBA works at this point. Can can I ask you guys about the the one name we haven't said much, Kristaps Porzingis, who to me a lot of times angst within organizations come from big moves that don't go well. Uh, even if uh, at the time it seemed like a great swing trade, it just hasn't worked out that great. I mean, if you obviously just kind of outside looking in, look at the roster and, and the issues in the playoffs, to me, the, the big glaring one is their number two is not close to a number two right now. Um, as we, you know, you spin this forward and you wonder who has the power in this organization as it moves into this offseason, the next one. I mean, Porzingis is the big question mark in the move. I mean, like, where are you guys at on his situation and who ultimately is going to make the decision on what to do with him? When I first started hearing whispers about things, you know, not going well behind the scenes, that's what I assumed it was. I assumed it was Luca and, and KP or something that had happened there. Uh, that that turned out not to really be the case. I've consistently heard and reported weeks ago about how, you know, if, if there is if there is concerns about their relationship, it's it's sims over just, you know, their their ability to to share as you know, not not be the one A one B that Kristaps wanted. You know, and you know this was ESPN reported something similar, and, and and so it's it's not that, but you know the idea that KP hasn't been the one B that that he was expected to be. Uh, it's it's a real concern. I, I I've always liked maybe this is my analytics brain. Uh, just that you know there's there's no such thing as another seven three shooter who used to play really high level defense in the league. Um, 
you know, there's there's no such player that they they're gonna go replace him with. Like he is, you know, to the point that he is a unicorn. It, it's true given his skill set. The problem is that he hasn't, you know, lived up to these expectations. He hasn't been quite as good of a shooter as as the team would have hoped. Um, certainly, the defense regressed majorly this year, and and that's been a concern. Even if he did, you know, have some better moments in the in the final few games of of their first round loss to the Clippers, and and yeah, that's a that's a big concern. And so, you know, I you know. I, I like what he represents to basketball. I like what Chris Stubbs could represent to basketball. And so I've always been, you know, rooting for him. You know, not that I'm rooting against anybody. Uh, but the idea that, yeah, you know, Luca and him have not worked as a, as a partnership to the degree that the, the Mavericks hope for. That's that's a real concern. And it's probably the biggest question around the Mavericks going forward. It's even, even bigger than front office stuff. It doesn't matter. It matters, you know, what you need to do is get it right. And, and the front office stuff underlies all this. Who is making the decisions? Who is trusted to make these decisions? But what they do with with Porzingis, whether he can bounce back, whether he could even rebuild trade value so that he is somebody who could be traded down the road, and and hopefully you know be a player that you know turns into something that you know turns into another player that that is more uh, more of a fit next to Luca. I, I think that's that's what you have to think about with this franchise as you kind of look at their future and whether they are going to build up a team. That is good enough for Luca. That 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 does connect and, and have synergy with Luca, and is able to push this team to you know a contending status that they really haven't been since the 2011 championship. Yeah, that's the one. If I'd be worried if I was in their shoes, because I hear you for sure, Tim, on what Porzingis is and what he could be, um, and you're dead on that. You just can't. You know, those kind of guys don't grow on trees. But I would. I mean, when postseason, he's coming out fairly candidly with the types of talking points that make you wonder just about where his head is at. Uh, it can't be easy to go from being the darling of the New York Knicks, you know, Phil Jackson's great find and a guy that is, you know, at the time before his injury was expected to lead a franchise himself to now being told like, well, we love you, but we love you in this role. And, and we're going to put a ceiling on what you might've thought you were capable of in your past life. But you know, um, we hope this works. And so I, I wonder a little bit about his mindset going forward, because if that piece doesn't work and if that trade value doesn't you know, kind of get reborn a little bit here in the near future, then then they're in a tough spot. We've seen already two postseasons in a row that Luca can be the, the kind of the second coming. And, you know, it's a team game. It only matters so much. I mean, it's wild that the narrative rightfully so around Luca is so positive in regards to his play. And again, it's well deserved. But you know, the harsh reality is he's still sitting home right now when, and I've joked with the guys before that it's, you know, that, Hey, DeAndre Aiden's out here. Trey Young's out here. Like these guys are with their teams deeper in the playoffs. And so there is pressure on the mass. They got it right. Getting Luca and, you know, but he's a title contending type player and we'll see if they can build around him. Tim, great work on the piece. I know you have another pod to get to and it's a busy day for you, but thank you very much for coming on. Again, um, job well done, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, brother. Thanks, fellas. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Good stuff, guys. Um, before we move on to playoff talk, any final thoughts on on the Mavs front? Because like we hit on, it's, you know, it's the kind of thing that uh, – there's a lot of league-wide themes. These are, these are not new problems for owners and front office folks to to figure out. Well, what do you guys think? Yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, I just think they're one of the most interesting teams in the league from a team building perspective. I mean, they got Hardaway coming up. They traded a couple of picks to get Porzingis. Like like Slater said, Porzingis took a step back this year, and you don't know how much of it has to do with this is who he is now versus he's still somewhat working his way back from, you know, bad injuries. And, you know, he's still young enough to where he can conceivably get better. And even if he is a little bit worse after the injuries, learn how to play with that sort of physical skill set. Um, they are a really fascinating team building team because Luca, while he is great, to maximize him, you want to play a specific particular way where you put the ball in his hands and you have guys around him. And, you know, you guys talked about it in your story of running high pick and rolls and letting him facilitate and create offense for your guys. And uh, it is going to be a really, really interesting team building experience to watch how Dallas puts that together and tries to build a title contender because I they're very good, but you know, they're, they're a little bit hamstrung in terms of what they're going to be able to do. It's not like they can just go out and get somebody right now. Right. What would even be the answer on Porzingis? I mean, you almost, if, if you were going to give up on him, it would, you'd probably have to do like a bad contract swap. I know people have mentioned like a Kemba for Porzingis, McCollum for Porzingis. I don't know which, you know, what way an asset would be going. I've had people Asked me about the Warrior situation, like an Andrew Wiggins for Porzingis type thing. Um, Wiggins had a better season than Porzingis, which is crazy. And they're basically under the same contract. Um, that's a problem for them. It's why they don't have their first round pick this year. Uh, you know, that's going to New York. And um, at the time, it seemed like a great deal, but that's kind of, it's really handcuffing them. Um, and I don't know how much of the front office angst has to do with that or not, but it's, uh, that is the situation to solve moving forward. They're going to be right, an so interesting player in 2022 also because they can create max cap space next summer. And, uh, you know, who I mean, Lucas seems like Lucas certainly good enough to get somebody to want to go play. Oh, there. yeah. Lord knows. I, yeah, that part, I that's, that's, you know, a strong way to finish. And a great point, Fred, is from a free agency standpoint, you know, I feel like he's the kind of guy that, you know, there's going to be a magnet. I think maybe some players, I mean, his usage is fairly high. And so who knows? Maybe not everybody wants to play with him. But in terms of his spirit and his personality and the joy, you know, I know it's a little corny when we bring stuff like that up, but Slater, you cover a guy in Steph Curry who I've always thought that, you know, his joy is contagious and that people want to be around that. And Luca has that same quality. Uh, let's segue here. One organization that does not seemingly have any such structural power problems would be the Phoenix Suns, the once flailing Robert Sarver owned you know, a long time struggling Phoenix Suns. And here they are, guys. Western Conference Finals. Uh, first time, I believe, since 2011. Am I accurate on that? 
2010. 2010 was the last time they were in the playoffs. So that actually, and and they made the conference finals. Yeah, so that was the Alvin Gentry led Phoenix Suns. I covered that series. Uh, I have no complaints, by the way, of of returning to uh, the the Valley of the Sun to cover a series. I'm looking forward to that. Amy's gonna live it up in Scottsdale. <laughs> <laughs> I got a few Scottsdale memories. Uh, so in fact, I booked the hotel last night. So that'll be fun. But you talk about organizational dynamics, and, and we've talked before on the pod, but, you know, I, I think it is time that, that uh, you know, we got to give credit where credit is due because, you know, we're here analyzing Mark Cuban's movements with the Mavs, you know, and Robert Sarver did a wise thing by hiring Bonnie Williams and, and even before that hiring James Jones to run the front office with Jeff Bauer. And, and I, that combo, by the way, has been really good. Like you got Jeff, who's a, a lifer as an executive and a guy who, in terms of the, the machinations and, and cap gymnastics and all the above, you know, and, and relationship stuff too. Jeff's very strong, but James Jones is coming at it from a different angle. And I think has been really productive and, and I think played a part in hiring Monty Williams and then eventually trading for Chris Paul and convincing Devin Booker to be patient. Um, they put it on the nuggets. I mean, they look like a really, really dangerous team, even more than before Chris Paul Slater, like you wrote, is looking healthier by the day, just a master of the mid-range, and, and the Nuggets, you know, whimpered into the offseason. But uh, how are we seeing these Suns? Uh, favorites in the West, it seems like. I mean, you know, they're about to get, what, eight days off between series. Paul already clearly the the rest time or whatever you want to call it, the time between that the end of the Lakers series and the end of this Easy nugget sweep, by the way. And and I understand Denver was wounded and, you know, obviously no Jamal Murray. Will Barton's on a minutes restriction. Their backcourt was um, not playoff level. But that same Denver team just beat Portland. You know, went into Portland in a game six and eliminated them. And Portland's uh, has their own offseason questions, obviously. But that's not like a bad team. So, like, Denver was... I mean, they were so capable and Phoenix like that Phoenix led the last three games uh, by 20 or for 20 or Denver led 24 seconds, 17 seconds and 49 seconds. The last three games. I mean, it was just complete dominance uh, um, from end to end. I believe it was like 63 plus 63 in the four games. That was just a different class of teams. And I know Phoenix has not yet been tested by a fully healthy team and whoever they play in the West finals will probably be their toughest opponent considering Davis went out. Um, But I mean, they're rising at the right time. And the, and the fact that Paul looked like this, my biggest question would have been his shoulder, but he has answered that 37 points. He had nine straight mid range jumpers last night. He had. Yeah. 37, which, by the way, it's like his most points since 2018. Fred's about to take a victory lap. I can already see it on his face. Um, but he he made seven more mid-range jumpers than Denver in that series. They're fun to watch. Devin Booker's an unbelievable score. Eight in his rising. We've talked about it. It goes back to the 2015 draft. They got the best player in that draft at 13. Uh, that changes the franchise. And then beyond that, they seem to have hit with eight, and even if they didn't get Doncic. And then Mikel Bridges, what, 10th overall? Like, they've just hit on lottery picks lately. And and then that led to this summer where they had an environment that would convince Chris Paul, I want to be there. And Jay Crowder, I want to be there. And that completed their team. I'm so impressed. He's he's not the best player on the Suns because Chris Paul is. But I'm I'm oh, so no. I'm so impressed with, with DeAndre Ayton. Like I know we've we've talked about him on the pod, but he just went up against 
like they are, he's playing real centers. I know Anthony Davis was hurt, but even before Davis was hurt, I mean, we were talking about how good of a job he was doing on Davis in that in that first round series, even before Davis became game one. Irreparably game hurt. one, he was great against he Davis. Was excellent against Davis. Remember, we came on this podcast and we just talked about how he was pushing him into the mid range the whole game, and he made you know a million out of a million shots. Right? Uh, he's been so good. Now he goes up against Jokic, and Jokic had a had a a good series until the the very end, right? A good series with an unfortunate ending, but they did a good job taking away his facilitating. They execute so one. well. Yeah. They execute. And that was Aiton. Mm-hmm. They took away his facilitating because they didn't have to double because Aiton could just stand him up one-on-one and didn't really get, I mean, he got in a little foul trouble in a couple of the games, but not really. Yeah. He was smart yeah. with the way he played. No, he is. And he's going to have a hell of a road if, if Phoenix ends up going to the finals because there's a chance where after playing those two centers in the first two rounds, he can end up having to face Rudy Gobert in the conference finals. And if they win that, maybe Joel Embiid in the finals. So we're going to get a real test on DeAndre Ayton potentially if Phoenix ends up going all the way here, or at least getting to the finals. And so far, man, like we knew what Chris Paul was and we didn't necessarily know what Devin Booker was, but I think we probably all would have bet on Devin Booker being exactly what he's shown being. And and we all would have agreed on that. And, and I think Deandre Ayton, there was just a little bit of a, of a test like, okay, let's, let's see what he's made of. His defense has gotten much better over the last three years. Uh, his, his, his counting numbers went down this year, but I thought he became a better player playing alongside Paul and Ayton or Paul and, uh, and Booker throughout the year. And man, like he's, he's gone the other way. Like he is, he's playing incredibly. It's just been really great to see Aiton through this playoff run. I think it's a, I think it's a fabulous story after, after all kind of the, uh, the friendly fire he gets caught up in after the Luca pick, which is not his fault. All he's done is come out and prove like crazy. And he's playing the best ball of his life in the most important moments. I mean, it never gets old analyzing all these what if scenarios with the draft, but I mean, that one in particular, if you guys remember, you had, Igor Kokoskov, you know, who had so many ties to Luka, was the Suns coach at the time. And so they just shocked the world when they went with Aiton. And, and I think we hit on it last week. You know, he had the performance in hand set back and, and just the narrative around him was so bad early on. It, it, I don't I haven't gotten to know him at all uh, and haven't covered him that closely so far. But right now in the moment, you talk about joy. Like, man, the dude seems like he's having so much fun. That video that kind of went viral last night of him celebrating with people out in Phoenix. The fans came out like crazy and he's, he's jumping out of the sunroof of that car and, and celebrating. And, and, you know, it, it kind of, they're a fun team and I'm dying to see if they can keep it going because, and this goes for a, a few of the teams that are still alive right now is that because this is the NBA playoff year where, you know, none of the legacy teams are involved anymore. You have like, you know, teams kind of reaching new ground all over the place. And so you're going to see, more enthusiasm coming out of Phoenix than you would be if the Lakers made the conference finals, you know, AD is not jumping out of a sunroof and celebrating with the fans, but there's a lot of that right now. Uh, Clippers jazz play tonight. So we're not going to get into to their stuff, but Phoenix, you know, showing Denver the door um, thoughts from you guys on what, if anything, it means, because it's a fork in the road. I would argue of like, do you just give them a complete pass because they had no Jamal Murray and uh, you know, no Will Barton, Monte Morris until late those types of things that hurt them. Uh, Jokic, I almost felt, I felt bad for him because it's like the MVP curse. He goes out in tough fashion and then loses his cool at the end. Just the optics around his exit were pretty challenging, but 
once Jamal gets healthy, they still have a very good team that's obviously going to be back at it next year. Denver, like the, the pro, some problems popped up in that series. Um, Aaron Gordon uh, did nothing. It really, uh, his last three games were four points, six points, eight points, eight of 25 shooting. He made zero threes in the entire series. Um, Michael Porter Jr. Uh, has promise, obviously, and he's probably going to be stepping into an extension that's going to be pricey. Um, but he made defensive errors for a lot of the series. He doesn't really create. He had four total assists in four games. And we're talking about, you know, you lose Jamal Murray, like Jokic is doing his thing, and obviously he's the hub of the offense. But you want this rising number two who you think is Michael Porter Jr. Like, hey, it's your time. Like, come in. Like, show out in this series. Maybe, you know, do a little bit more play creation for others. He, he kind of was a glorified spot-up shooter in that series. And, you know, he scored 15, 11, 15, 20. Like, so, you know, his shot is unbelievably pretty. He's probably going to make, you know, 200 threes per season for the next decade. But there's just a lot more to his game. He needs to get better. And and that was on full display in the series. Um, and th- that's the two things I'm looking at, right? Because Gordon was – like. They were always going to have an issue at the guard position in that series, but they needed to be much better at the wings. And to be honest, Mikel Bridges was the best wing in that series. Um, and that's that's a big problem from a Denver perspective because Gordon and Porter are their third and fourth most important players going forward, and they kind of flamed out. Yeah, a, lo- a lot of their problems are just based on the fact that they're extremely reliant on Jamal Murray for playmaking and offensive creation, and they didn't have him. You know, I, when you don't have guards and you have to rely on MPJ to create, yeah, you're right. It's not his strength. The other part was that, and this was a problem in the Portland series too, their their perimeter defense is just not there. And and I feel like that's something that they're going to have to make an objective. Like if, I, if I'm running the Nuggets, that's my number one objective. We got to find some ways to tighten up the perimeter defense and and bring in somebody who can who can lock guys down and specifically guard screens. I mean they they just got hung up on screens left and right in in both series. I mean that's how that's how Dame is Dame is getting switches and then just going to town and stepping back against everybody, right? And and you know, I think that's something where, you know, obviously it's a little more difficult to implement when you're your injured guys are back and you know, you gotta, you gotta play Murray. You gotta play, uh, you gotta play Barton. And and those are guys who are going to come out and they're going to take minutes and they're going to, you know, obviously give you a little bit more, at least in a size perspective and someone like Compazzo. Uh, but, but in terms of shoring up the perimeter defense, Aaron Gordon did a lot in the regular season to help nuggets got off to a really bad defensive start this year and got better throughout the year. That's something where like, that's a core that can be a title contender for sure if it's healthy and if they can just shore up some of the defensive issues there on the perimeter. I I, I think that that could help them a ton going into next year. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
Spotify. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, I'm going to end on this note, gentlemen. We're I'm going to skip over a little bit. Bucks Nets. They you know they play uh, tomorrow when this pod's coming out, and we'll see. I mean that thing is obviously taking a turn. We we went from getting ready to to kind of write about Mike Budenholzer's future to uh, to the Bucks being back in the game and Kyrie going down, James Harden going down, Kevin Durant. You know, all of a sudden, you know, trying to to kind of take the weight of the world with the Nets and, and keep it going. We'll see what happens there. But Fred, I think you uh, you wanted to you know come at me over my Donovan Mitchell take. I, I tweeted the other day that I thought Donovan Mitchell was the best player in the playoffs to this point. My only timing disclaimer will be that that was entering Game Three. The Jazz were six and zero at that point. Um, you know, but there's been some incredible individual play, and so we were going to have a little fun with with a, a top five or, or pick a few of these guys. Who would you highlight, my friend, as the supreme playoff performer at this point? All right, so I actually made a top five. Yes, here uh, we go. Because I just want to humiliate you with it. Should I? Should I start? <laughs> should I start at one or should I start at five? I will What's more dramatic? I'm humiliated, first of all, and I'll never <laughs> admit it. Yeah. <laughs> what's what's more dramatic? Do I start at five or one? Definitely five. Definitely yeah, five. five. All right. Yeah. Five was really hard. I had the exact same problem that I had when I put together my all NBA ballot, which is I didn't know if I should choose Lillard or Luca. And I went back and forth about 15 times. And Hold I, on, I want to I want to build it up a little more is just kind of spoiler alert is, is Donovan in your top five? Did he make your top? five? Yes. He okay. made the top Ooh, five. Okay. All right. Good to know. He made the top five. So I, I considered not putting him in the top five, not because it was correct, but only to try to embarrass him more than <laughs> I already could. I'm so uh, relieved. So I, I ended up going with Luca. I thought Dame's job was a little bit easier than Luca's job in that he was going up against all those injured Nuggets guards and Luca had to go up against the Clippers defense in that first round, even though he didn't make his free throws and let go of a 2-0 lead. I, I just... They were both incredible. I don't think there's a wrong answer there. Number four, I went with uh, Donovan Mitchell, who who, who has been excellent, but uh, I thought not as good as Kawhi Leonard, who has absolutely feasted throughout the playoffs is the reason why the Clippers came back from 2-0 in the first round. He's shooting 66% Why do you always got to get down 2-0, Fred? Why they always got to get down 2-0? Not because of him. They, they He is shooting 66% on two-pointers. That's what like a, like a center who takes six shots a game and only dunks shoots on two-pointers. First of all, can I just clarify? Did you, you uh, in my defense, did you make, you made your list after Clippers Jazz game three, correct? Yeah. Yes, I made my list. Uh, yeah, I made it. Would Kawhi still have been one uh, before Clippers Jazz game three? Oh, Kawhi's not one. Kawhi's three. Oh, okay. I've so got, we're, bit, we're going up. The I've ladder. got yeah, we're going up the ladder. I've got, I've got KD too, because he's shooting fifty, forty, ninety on thirty-one a game, and is 
Kevin Durant. Uh, He's about to get heavily tested. Yes, in the next in the coming days if, by, by PJ Tucker. PJ yeah. Tucker has, was great. PJ Tucker is Fred Cat's number one player yes. on this list. <laughs> you know, it's not. It's not Giannis. At least it's not for me. No, I have. I I made honorable mentions too, so that people on Twitter don't get mad at me for disrespecting their guys. Uh, number one is Joel Embiid. I th- I I'm to- I I'm totally set on Joel Embiid being the best player in the playoffs. Uh, the 76ers are scoring. 133 points per 100 possessions when Joel Embiid is on the floor. He is a one-man offense right now. He has walked up to Clint Capella, who is an excellent defender, and just annihilated him, and he's hurt. Uh, he's he's just unstoppable right now. I don't know what in the world you do against Joel Embiid. Fred, I feel like you didn't say anything that's really in dispute. So that part is, you know... Kudos to you. You're always fantastic at breaking down the game. I feel like this is a microcosm of the eternal debate about MVP versus like Rachel Nichols is constantly campaigning for a, a like, you know, best performer uh, award, individual kind of stat driven. I mean, because to me with Donovan, it's this. If you want to focus on value again, heading into game three, um, to see the position that the Jazz were in after losing game one to Memphis. And obviously everything that went with Donovan's frustration because he thought he was ready to play and they didn't let him play uh, to then. So they have a scare, you know, the eight seed comes in, steals the game. They're a little nervous. And then they just obliterate the Grizzlies from there with Donovan leading the way, um, you know, then losing Mike Conley and the idea that you're going up on a pretty talented Clippers team that is supposed to be and is superstar laden, you know, without your backcourt mate, and a guy who's had a fantastic year and is so important what they do. Um, that is that kind of value. I just, I don't think anybody has had to that point had the impeccable record that Donovan did. And, you know, right now I, game three, you saw, again, we're not really going down Clippers jazz road too much, but you saw, you know, maybe call it fatigue, call it. Now it's been three games without Mike Conley and, and Donovan, you know, came on strong in the second half, but he was scoreless in the first quarter. And, you know, they had, doubles on him that he said he hadn't seen since high school and it's getting tougher and tougher and we'll see where his postseason goes but he continues to prove wherever he is in anybody's rankings he continues to prove himself to be a fantastic playoff performer he's one of those guys whose game so far you know every postseason has elevated on this stage and there's so many guys whose games go the other way and and maybe 10 or 12 percent less production donovan goes the other way uh you know he meets the moment and I love his competitiveness. I love his passion. I love his leadership. Uh, I think he's a special dude. And and it's wild to see with Dwayne Wade now, obviously part of the jazz ownership group. It's such a, a kind of a cool vibe there too, because he really did. There's so many moments with Donovan. They're having in-game conversations. Yeah, they, he's Donovan like coming over in the middle of the second Wade. quarter. Yeah. I mean, like the barreling to the rim, the, you know, sliding out of bounds and, you know, winding up behind the stanchion. And just that fervor that he plays the game with is, is very D Wade esque. It's odd to see D Wade like in a jazz hat in the arena, like really super into the jazz. I'm like, Looking at the camera and saying, "Hey, make sure you watch the cube tonight at 8 p.m." 
his new he's, life. He's good at branding. <laughs> and, and honestly, terrific choice by the Utah ownership group to to bring D-Wade under the umbrella. Yeah. I mean, that's just added kind of uh, some juice to just like the whole scene. I just, it's cool. It is cool to see Donovan Mitchell in the middle of the second quarter go over and D-Wade's like telling him, like, hey, maybe you angle your drive that way. Right. And you're like, oh, you know, classic, my, classic cog from ownership telling the players. Just a unbelievable. This meddling. Yeah. Are you kidding? Quinn Snyder cannot know? have this. I told someone the other day, and this is up your alley, Slater. I was like, yeah, it's not quite the same vibe as like, you know, Clay Thompson fist pounding Joe Lacob, you know, a couple years ago in the playoffs. It's we are we're also normally uh, programmed to hear like minority owners in the NBA are typically, you know, the masters of kind of subversion and you know and frustration where they always are mad they don't have enough power and this you know having synergy like this is not normal it, it is a pretty wise move i think on ryan smith's part i think the jazz are helping the optics around their organization because of it but as far as donovan goes again we'll see what happens in that series but but he's been great all the other guys you mentioned have been great with Kawhi, man fred i always have a hard time judging Kawhi because i know I mean, the efficiency is incredible. He's, I, I still think he hasn't missed a shot in the fourth quarter of their wins. I think that's an actual real stat, which is pretty wild. Um, by the way, Slater, you, meant, you hear that he didn't even mention Chris Paul on this list? I just want to, you know. He's, uh, you, he's you on mean, the honorable uh, mentions, the, one honorable mention you mean above the third best Booker. player on the Suns. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the guy with like a, you know, 100 to 1 assist to turnover ratio or whatever it is. He was, I mean, as as little of an impact as he had on the Lakers series, I could hear the argument that he was the best player for the Suns in the Nuggets sweep. Oh, um, yeah. he. You look yeah. at the shooting line, he shot 63-75-100 against the Nuggets. Right. Outrageous. Yeah, I mean, th- and, you know, fourth quarters, too. I think he was 16-19 and 19 in the fourth quarters. He was just, he, he closed. Uh, and But, you know, at the same time, what did Booker finish with last night? Like 30-something. 30 34. Um, just easy. Uh, yeah, well, Chris doesn't score like that. I just easy. looked it up a second ago. That was uh, Chris's second highest scoring total ever in the playoffs. Since, yeah. In his highest. His high. he, hadn't, he hadn't scored 37 uh, he's, so he scored 41 against the Jazz to close them out for the Rockets in 2018. Right. But I, since that, he hadn't scored even 37 regular season or playoffs since the Clippers days. You know, so yeah, he's just he's not really that type of score. But I'm not sure I've ever seen nine straight mid range makes yeah. over like a quarter period. That was, I watched that was your all clip. on the same side of the floor. Yeah, your clip was wild, yeah. man. You you hear guys constantly talk about I got to get to my spot, and you don't you don't normally take it literally. And I was watching that video clip that you put together with Chris. And I'm just thinking like, wow, like that's, it's, he's literally targeting that spot every single time. He's down. like snaking through the lane. He's like, gotta get to like, it's like, you know, if you played a game or where there's hot spots on the floor. Yeah. 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 Seven points. He was like, I gotta dribble <laughs> over to the seven point spot. Shoot. Like the video game. And there's like a bonus in that, in that spot. He's yeah. got to get to it. All right, guys, I'm going to let you bounce on that. Uh, I got to get on, move on. I'm, I'm down in LA covering the series. It's very strange to be on the road again, but, but it's been nice uh, back out there again tonight and covering these playoffs. Keep up the good work. Appreciate you both as always. And we will talk to you next week. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, 
has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.